that last song, I think, is uh, so powerful to so many people uh, because it sings about a father. And so many people today don't have that good father in their lives raising them, uh, being the example. One of the things that we try to do here uh, with our men's ministry is really center and focus men on what it means to be a, a man of God. And I know, I've, I'll just, be, I don't think there's any question how I feel about it. I think manhood is under attack in our society today. And uh, um, we need to stand up for what men are supposed to be according to the word of God, not tyrants, not bullies, but uh, individuals of character who are willing to lead and invest in others. And uh, I'm very sorry for those of you who didn't have a father like that in your life. Uh, I think it's a tragedy. But know this, here at New Life, there are some men that uh, will be more than happy to support you in your growth. And beyond that and above that, you have a father in heaven who knows you, he loves you, he cares about you, and he wants the best for you. So when we sing about that song, him being a good, good father, no matter what your experience in has been in, in life with an earthly father, just remember, there's one above the fray, there's one above all that, that can be to you exactly what you need. Matthew chapter 5 is where our text is. We're going to finish up this uh, message today. Been on it for the last three times I've preached. Uh, we're in talking about the Beatitudes. And we're going to take a little break for the next two weeks after this. Uh, next Sunday is Palm Sunday, as you heard in the announcements. We will be doing communion. Uh, we do a little different. We don't do it at the, at the end of the service. We're going to be doing it during the worship time. And uh, just to, for those of you who haven't been here, um, because of COVID, we went to the, uh, it's like a do-it-yourself communion. It's all in one. So we'll be handing those out and you have to pop the top. So just don't be, don't be nervous when you, when you get that. Um, but we'll be talking next Sunday. We'll be talking about what the, the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem and, and uh, what that was all about. And then the following Sunday is Easter. We'll be uh, having a, a message about Easter and baptisms. And once again, if you are interested in being baptized, how many do we have right now? We have seven people being baptized right now, and uh, we can do more. He can do more as Zach is doing baptisms. Uh, so uh, I don't trust, I don't trust. Yes, my left, my left hip is my plant foot for baptisms, and I don't trust it until I get that new hip in there. So he's, he's, what's that? Thank you very, very much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, so if you're interested in being baptized, uh, see Zach. You can also see me, and I'll point, I'll point you to Zach. If you have questions about what it is, uh, we here we baptize after a person accepts Jesus Christ as their Savior. Uh, so if you, maybe you were baptized as a baby uh, in the, the church uh, that you were raised in, and then you accepted Christ as your Savior, you've never been baptized, you never followed Jesus and believers' baptism, and you are interested in being baptized, we'd love to talk to you about it and add you to the roster if, you, if you'd like. So, and we also, um, May 1st, we have a new members class. We have a lot of new people. We haven't had one of these because of COVID for a couple years. So if you became a member during COVID and you'd like to be in that new members class, uh, feel free to join us. Uh, it's gonna be after the service on May 1st. We're gonna have lunch for you. And uh, it's gonna be a good time. If you have any questions about what new life is, what we're about, um, how we run things here, uh, those questions are answered in that class. Matthew chapter 5 is the beginning of an amazing sermon preached by Jesus, his very first uh, public sermon. Uh, we call it the Sermon on the Mount. We've been going through the Beatitudes, and we've covered the first three, and we're in the fourth one right now. And those four, if you remember, the first four uh, deal with our relationship with God. After, after the, the Easter uh, Sundays, We'll get back into the Beatitudes, and those next four cover our relationship with others. And uh, this is a blueprint for Christian living, and I hope it's been beneficial, not just interesting, but beneficial, because 
Scripture is always interesting. It's interesting to learn. But unless you take what you learn and apply it to your life, then it has no benefit for you whatsoever. So as we read Matthew chapter 5, if you'd stand with me as we read Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 11, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. You may be seated. Now, this fourth beatitude is where we're at. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We covered what that means, the theological part of that. And a quick review of that gives us the understanding that uh, Jesus is using a physical example, a physical condition to illustrate a spiritual matter. He used the idea that we all understand of hunger and thirst to let us know that the same way physically you hunger and thirst and therefore get something to eat and get something to drink, that's the way we are supposed to be in our spiritual life. We're supposed to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, what happens when you don't feed yourself physically or you don't uh, drink and keep yourself hydrated? You become weak, right? Become weak physically. You be, uh, if, if you're not hydrated, you get that sick feeling. You become dizzy and your physical body just doesn't function properly. And I think that's exactly what Jesus was trying to illustrate here about our spiritual body. If you don't feed yourself spiritually, and if you don't keep your spiritual body hydrated with the things of God, then you're going to become weak. You're going to become so weak that eventually you'll become ineffective as a follower of Christ and for the kingdom of God. So saying that, Jesus in other teachings taught us this, that he is our source of spiritual nourishment. Jesus is our source. Remember, he called himself the bread of life. And he, called, he said, if you, you come to me, I will give you water, the water of life, and you'll never be thirsty again, speaking in a spiritual way. So the hunger and thirst that you feel in your spirit will be quenched and nourished by Jesus Christ. We talked about some important terms, righteousness, and the word righteousness, the root word of righteousness is simply right. So when we talk about righteous living, we're talking about right living according to the word of God. This is the sticking point for a lot of people, okay? A lot of people both in the church and outside the church. What is right? Well, right for you is not right for me. Well, your morality, my morality. Listen, if that's how you see things and if that's how you feel, I will just tell you simply, you have been influenced by the world and their thinking and their teaching too much. There is one interpretation of the word of God. There is one right way to live for a Christian, and that is according to the teachings of the word of God. Well, what does that mean? Get into the Bible and learn. Get into the Bible and learn and understand what the Bible has to say to you. That's living right. We talked about justification. And that when God, that's when God declares us righteous. When we accept him, Jesus as our Savior, God the Father declares us righteous. And I gave you a simple, uh, a simple definition of that. It's just as if I'd never sinned. So God sees us clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, perfect in his eyes. Sanctification is the process of living God's purpose in such a way that it causes us to turn from sin, sinful practices and actions, and pursue the ways of Jesus. We change our worldview. We change our desire. We change what our heart and life and our purpose is all about. It goes from being about us to being about him. And when life is about him, we understand what sacrificial love and unconditional love is. And then we start to serve others for the glory of God. Let me tell you, for those of you who have become parents or those of you who are parents, one of the greatest lessons you learn about selflessness and sacrificial love and unconditional love is your children, right? 
loving a child is, is exactly what we sang about being a good, good father, good, good mother. Going beyond yourself to see the needs of another, to see the needs of an individual who many times can't help themselves, who many times uh, needs someone to take care of their needs. Sacrificial love. That same sacrificial love that we have towards our children or towards our parents or towards others in our lives is supposed to emanate from a life that is surrendered to Jesus Christ, motivated by him, and whose purpose and which purpose is to serve God, not to serve others. That's where things get twisted. The world is all about serving our fellow man, right? We do things to serve. For the kingdom of God, we serve him. And when we serve him, our actions please him, and it flows out to serving others. That's where we get that, that's where we, we miss it many times. We think that serving others is what it's all about when it's serving him is what it's supposed to be about. That's where we get twisted. When you start serving others instead of God, where do you start putting your eyes? On others. That's when others will disappoint you. That's when others will let you down. And when others let you down, that's when it causes you to want to quit and want to walk away because you say, what good is it? When you have an eternal mentality and you say, I want to serve God rather than men, rather than human beings, and it doesn't matter whether it seems like I'm being effective with others, all I have to answer to, all, all, the only one I have to answer to is God. And I have to make sure that he's pleased with my actions and my life. And if he is, he'll bless me in such a way that it'll open up doors of opportunity for me to make his name famous and reach other people. Remember, it's not your responsibility to win people to Jesus Christ. It's your responsibility to point them to Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit does the rest. Now, we started last week um, on the second part of this, what does it mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness? And quickly we said, it means that you want to be a, that you want to be a grown up spiritually, right? You want to be a, if you, if you're hungry and thirsting after righteousness, you want to be a grown up spiritually. You know what that does? Let's be practical about this. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but how many of you go through hills and valleys? Like the Torin Wells song. He's the God of the hills and the valleys. Well, let me tell you, there are going to be hills and valleys in life. There are always going to be hills and valleys. If you're walking with Jesus Christ, there's always going to be hills and valleys. There's going to be up times. There's going to be down times. Quite honestly, if I'm reading the room this morning, a lot of people are in a valley right now, right? A lot of people, it's a toned down. Last Sunday, it was a high. Last Sunday, it was, it was high energy here last Sunday, right? This Sunday, I don't know what went on. Uh, I've got four kids. What's your excuse? Uh, <laughs> just kidding. Um, but... We, that's, that's the nature of life, and that's the nature of a walk with Jesus Christ. Your life is going to go through hills and valleys. You know what shouldn't go through hills and valleys but does? Your, spiritual, your spirituality. Jesus said, the road with me is straight and narrow. So, straight up, so if you're getting off the straight and narrow, and I know that, that brings up all kinds of different thoughts, right? Oh, that's, that's extreme fundamentalism. That's legalism. No, it's not. It's the walk of Jesus Christ. He will, he will get you through those hills and valleys, and, he can, and, and you can get through those triumphantly if you walk a steady life with him. You'll be able to deal with the highs and lows of life if you walk a steady life with him. When things get tough financially, when things get tough uh, physically in your physical body, when you feel all alone and there's nobody around that understands what you are going through, nobody, how many of you ever, don't have to raise your hands again. Uh, we've all been to those places where we feel ultimately lonely, right? All alone. In the middle of a crowd, in the middle of a crowded metropolis, we feel all alone because nobody understands me. I get that, man. I get that completely. But that's where our faith comes in. Our faith is not just for the hills, and it's not just for the valleys. It's for every day of life. And while you'll still go through those hills and valleys, because that's what life is made of, 
your spiritual, your spirituality, your spiritual life, your walk with Jesus Christ can be steady and see you through. And then when you get through, when you get down from that hill, you'll, you could look back and say, oh, that's the lesson I needed to learn. When you go through that valley, you say, oh, that's what Jesus was trying to teach me there because you're consistent. See, consistency is where we need to live. Consistently, consistency, a consistent walk with Jesus is where we need to live. You know what's lacking in the church today? Consistency. Consistency. If many of us, if the average Christian approached their married life the way they approached their spiritual life, we'd have a whole lot of marriages and a whole lot more trouble. Because it's not a priority. Our walk with Christ is not a priority. We've been, one of the, if you talk to pastors nowadays, you know what the big struggle is now? It's not rearranging the auditorium because we need to make sure that we can seat people that come in. It's trying to get, it's trying to convince people that they need to be back in church. The same had, now, I'll be honest with you, I think a lot of pastors created their own problems by going ahead and shutting down and not putting up a fight about it. But be that as it may, rather than reaching a lost world for Jesus Christ, we're trying to convince people that they need to be back in church because people have spent two years thinking, ah, it's not that important. That's not that consistent way of living. That consistent way of living. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness means you want to be a grown-up spiritually. What are you going to... If we approached our work life the way we approach our spiritual life, how long would you have your job? I mean, that's practical. That's practical because the Bible says in everything you do, whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. You know what that includes? Your work. That includes your family. That includes everything. Therefore, we should strive for consistency, seeking hungering and thirsting for righteousness. The second thing we said was it means that you want to pursue the right way of living. You want to be a moral and ethical person in your life according to the word of God. If you're a boss at work, you want to treat your people with fairness. If you own your own business, you want to make sure you give people the full service for what they're pay, what they're, uh, of what they're paying for. If you uh, provide, if you're in a service industry and you pro provide a service for others, you want to make sure you give people what they're paying for. As a, uh, I was a teamster for 12 years. Our motto here in the local 404 was, an, and, and throughout the, the teamsters, an honest day's work for an honest day's pay. We expected to get paid well, but we expected to earn it every day that we worked. Well, so many of us want Want, want great blessings from God without putting in the work to earn those blessings. You see, pursuing the right way of living is exactly what he wants us to do when we're hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And then it said, that, and the last one I, I gave you last week was it means that we want to be eternal goals oriented. We're not building a future here. Remember I gave you the illustration of uh, that song, uh, that's all the lumber you sent. Guy, guy's taken through heaven, and it's 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 not very theological, okay. But you go up, it goes up to heaven, and the 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 angel takes him past all these great houses, uh, wonderful wonderful buildings, and he gets to this shack at the end, and it's like, okay, this is your eternal home, and it's like, well, what happened? Is and the angel looks at me and says, well, that's all the lumber you sent, okay. Now theologically speaking, that's not. That's not sound, but I think the lesson we get from it is this. Don't expect God to bless your life if you're not willing to put in the work, okay? You got to give God something to work with, all right? We'll get to that here in a minute. Now, that brings us to point number two. What are the principles of righteous living? What are the principles of righteous living? John MacArthur said, if you claim a relationship with Christ, but you aren't hungering and thirsting for righteousness, you need to honestly question whether you know him. Well, that's a heavy statement, isn't it? If you're not hungering and thirsting after the things of God, if they just don't matter to you, if you can't seem to get yourself out of the rut that you're in, knowing what God has for you, knowing what the promises are, knowing what your responsibility is, 
then maybe you need to check your relationship with God to begin with. Are you, is it really a priority in your life? Is it really something that matters to you? Or is it on the back burner? So what do we mean by the principles of living, righteous living? First of all, righteousness is a way of life. Righteousness is a way of life. Not necessarily a lifestyle. A lifestyle is just something you have, something that you kind of inherit, something that, uh, you know, as New Englanders, we have a certain lifestyle up here. You're a Dunkin' Donuts person, right? Those of you who are transplants, um, you really want to be a New Englander, it's all about Dunkin' Donuts, right? Just saying, just saying. And uh, you could kick and scream and fight against it, but you'll never, you'll never ever, even you Brazilians who know what real coffee is all about, uh, you'll never ever really lay claim to being a New Englander until you understand it doesn't matter if the coffee is burnt or nasty or they forget to do anything with it. You know, you could, uh, you could order, I, or Aaron and I uh, went and got coffee on Saturday at Dunkin' Donuts and they didn't put the stuff in that I asked for. You know what? I'm still going to go back because I'm a New Englander. That's what we do. We go for the abuse, right? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. We are loyal to a fault. And that's it. What's that? Exactly. Exactly. It's got to get better. I mean, listen, we're the people that live in nine months of winter. So it's got to get better eventually. (laughs) But that's a lifestyle. A way of life is something you choose. It's something you put into practice. It's something that you actually think about doing and have become in your life. That righteous way of life distinguishes us as true Christians. Now, those of you who were raised in church as a child from the old school, this is what we were all taught. And this is what's kind of lacking in much teaching today. We're all about self-help in church now. We're all about uh, making people comfortable and giving them a rock show at the beginning of the service and then... uh, you know, then, then kind of fixing their, their issue in life and trying to help them understand how their wallet can be full when that's not what it's all about at all. Listen, some people God has called to a life of struggle because that's something, that's something that he can use for his glory. But a righteous way of life, no matter what your circumstances, no matter what your place, no matter where you're at, that distinguishes us as a true Christian, as a true follower of Jesus Christ. Martin Luther said, our works do not generate righteousness, uh, rather our righteousness in Christ generates works. Our works don't, listen, we believe that, right? We're an old Baptist church. Our our theology here at New Life is Baptist, unapologetically, unashamedly. The only reason we don't have Baptist in our name is because there's like 300 different kinds of Baptist. So that's why we, we're just straight up New Life Church. But our theology and our polity is all Baptist. So we don't believe in a faith from works. We don't believe that working your work, being a good person, being as best you can, we don't believe that gets you to heaven, right? And Martin Luther said that. He said, quite simply, our works don't generate righteousness. Our righteousness in Christ generates our works. Is that scriptural? Absolutely. James chapter 2, verse 18 but says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. And I love this part. Show me your faith without works and I will show you my faith by my works. Pull that apart. Unpack that. Man, you can, you can come here on Sunday morning and you can be Joe or Susie Christian, Right? You can be the pillar. You can carry the family Bible in here. You can be decked out in your Sunday best, and you can be the nicest person. You can be on the greeting team. You can be in the worship team. You can work in the nursery. You can do all the things that you're supposed to do on a Sunday morning. You can be the perfect example of what a Christian is on Sunday morning. But what do you like on Monday? You see... What we try to do, what many people try to do is convince people on Sunday morning that we're Christians, right? We try to convince them that we've got it all together. We try to convince them that we're living right. Man, this is what it's all about. I am the model Christian. Just look, listen, 
I have a highlighter and a pen and a little ruler so I can underline and highlight when the pastor reads a verse that really stands out. I am the true example of what Christianity is. And listen, don't even get me started when we start having sword drills because you are not going to be able to stand up against my prowess. I don't want to talk about me, but my prowess when it comes to sword drills. I am the king. Okay, but what do you do on Monday? You see, you show everybody, you claim Christianity on Sunday, but do you prove your faith on Monday? Does the work you accomplish for the kingdom of God, does the life you live, does the way that you treat people, does the way that you treat your family, does the way you treat your neighbors, does the way you keep your house, does the way you work and relate to others, does that show Jesus Christ? Because see, living righteously, hungering and thirsting after righteousness, and living righteously is a way of life that you choose. And through the choices you make, according to the word of God, according to the principles of the word of God, that shows your faith to other people. Quite honestly, how many unsaved people are you going to affect for the kingdom of God by being super Christian on Sunday morning? And by going out there and being Mr. Normal Society or Miss Normal Society, Monday through Saturday. So you don't prove your faith here. You strengthen your faith here. You, you recover your faith here. You replenish your strength here. You encourage others in the faith here. But you prove your faith out there by the way you live. James put it so well. Show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. I don't need somebody to tell me how good they are at being a Christian. I'd rather see people, I'd rather have people show me how much in love they are with Jesus by the way they live. Ephesians 2.10, Paul gets a little more practical. He says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. <laughs> see that? It's right up on the screen, man. It's right up on the screen. If you want to turn around backwards, it's back there. Where's workmanship? Created in Christ Jesus for good works. You've been created, you've, been, you've accepted Jesus Christ, your Savior, and now your purpose is to do the work of the kingdom of God. Well, nobody appreciates me. You're not called to be appreciated. Can I be blunt with you? Show me, show me the verse in the scriptures that says your, your calling is to be appreciated. Come on, come on, bring it. Show me the verse in scripture where it says you're called to be the most well-liked person in your community. They're not there. You're created for good works. Now that, that, that would, will earn you a great reputation with people. It'll also earn you a real level of being despised by others. Not everybody is going to be happy with the way you live. Not everybody is going to be happy with the way you choose to raise your children. The, I don't know who's watching this today, but there's a certain mentality at a, at a certain level of school here in East Long Meadow that a couple of our, our, our two sons are about to enter next year. And I don't think they're ready for... John and Aaron Chase, because, listen, my friend, you want to push your agenda on my children, I'm going to push back. I will stand up for the things of God. Now, I don't want, please believe me, people freak out when they don't pray at high school football games. I don't want, I don't want them praying at football games. I'm not the one guaranteed to be praying. They're going to have to open that up to everybody. It's public school. My, my kids are taught to pray on their own. So they can pray before baseball games. They can pray before they do everything. They can be in, in their third bite of their Captain Crunch. And I'll say, did you pray? Nope. Well, we're going to pray right now because I'm teaching my kids. You could pray on your own. You could pray yourself. I need you to pray at a football game. And 
definitely I don't want you teaching Bible in the schools. What do I want somebody who doesn't know Christ and doesn't believe what the book says, teaching my kids about that? I'll take care of that, and my church will help me out. You know what I don't want you doing? I don't want you teaching your morality to my kids. And you're going to know that. That's not going to make me popular with some people. But you know what it will do? It will show others that I want to stand for what I believe is righteousness. Being truthful and honest on the job when other people are cutting corners, when other people are doing the exact wrong thing, and you're the one that stands up for what's right, doesn't make you popular, but it does make you righteous. You see, this is the practical way of living righteously. We're created for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. God has opportunities for you every day. Open doors. That's why at the end of the service when I pray, I pray, God, show us those open doors. Because every day has an open door of opportunity for you to live your faith, for you to live righteously before others. It may seem like something insignificant to you, but it may be the world for somebody else. And it may be the beginning of a connection that brings them to Jesus Christ. That's why we need to lift Jesus up in everything we do, because people may not know they're watching, but they are watching. 1 John 2, 15 and 16, John takes it even deeper and he says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all those of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, the pride in one's possessions, is not from the Father, but is from the world. Man, if you want a, a text passage about the conflict in the church and the world right now. And I'm talking from the church side. It's right there. Pastors who, are, who, who live in $10 million homes. Pastors who name ministries after themselves and rake in millions of dollars. Churches that make $100 million off all their stuff and with no accountability. Pastors who preach that God doesn't want your wallet to be empty, so you need to give seed money to the church so that God can grow your faith and grow your wealth. Pastors who all they talk about is wealth. All they talk about in their sermons is wealth. Really? Did we forget the part that said Jesus didn't even have a place to lay his head? Did we forget the part where Jesus was a poor carpenter? Did we forget the part where Jesus fed people with a little bit? You never see Jesus making anybody wealthy. In order to pay his taxes, he sent Peter fishing. And there was a, there was a coin in his mouth. So listen, don't believe the lie that God wants your wallet to be full all the time. There are some people God will bless with wealth because you can handle it. And he gives you wealth, not so that you can make yourself comfortable, not so that you can have the finer things in life. He gives you wealth so that you can bankroll the kingdom of God ministry here on earth. You don't believe me? (laughs) Look at all the times in the word of God. He says money is a thing to be responsible for. He preaches, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, different... Uh, parables later on in the year. He talks about parables of the talents and those who handled the money that was given to them wisely, invested it wisely. Not the ones that built their 401k, the ones that invested in the kingdom of God. What did he do? He blessed them with more. He gave them more responsibility. You can't outgive God. It's the principle of giving living. We give to get so that we can give more, so that we can get more to give more, to get more, to give more, so that we continue helping to build the kingdom of God. God hasn't blessed some people with finances. He's blessed you with abilities. He's blessed you with talents. And he expects you to be the builders and the growers of others. Some of you are amazing encouragers. Are you using your gift of encouragement to build the kingdom of God? Are you living your life in such a righteous way that others come to you for encouragement? 
Are you a person that people come to for encouragement or are you the first person they go to with a bit of gossip? Are you the person people come to to ask, ask you to pray for them because they know that you will pray for them fervently? Or are you the person that doesn't even come to mind? You see, living righteously, living intentionally for Jesus Christ is all about making the choice for righteousness. Righteousness has grown from the inside out. Righteousness starts on the inside of our spirit. It starts in our heart, our spiritual nature. We give our hearts to Jesus Christ. He gives us a new heart, a clean heart. And then he begins to change us from the inside out. Remember he says, let your mind be set on the things of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not think it robbery to be equal with God but made himself what? A servant. Made himself a servant. Jesus Christ came down to serve. So how did we get that twisted? Where Jesus says we're to serve others, and he showed us the example of service through communion, by providing, praising, and provision. He showed us the example of service by washing the disciples' feet. Remember that one that we all seem to forget? Jesus came to serve. He said, the Son of Man came to serve, not to be served. So righteous living, pursuing righteousness, hungering and thirsting for righteousness is saying, here am I, here am I God, use me. Here am I, Lord, send me. Here am I, Lord, take what I have to offer and use it for your kingdom. And I will be, I will be poured out as a drink offering, Lord for the glory of your kingdom. I'll not look for it for myself. I'll not look for the glory for myself because I am not what matters. Listen, if you've accepted Christ as your savior, you're secure in his love. That's not going away. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to prove it. You don't have to keep it. What you have to do now is live for him in such a way that other people see Jesus. First of all, you bring glory to God. Secondly, you point others to Jesus Christ. That's righteous living. It's grown from the inside out. 1 Peter 3, 3 and 4. Don't let your beauty consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles and wearing gold jewelry or fine clothes, but rather what is in the inside of the heart, as the old King James says, the hidden man of the heart, the hidden person of the heart, the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Galatians 6, 7 and 8 don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Now we, you don't hear many sermons preached from this text anymore because we don't want to hear the truth of the word of God. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to the flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. Want to know why your life is such a mess? Why do you want to know why it's so dysfunctional? Because you're planting for yourself. You're worried about yourself. You're concerned about yourself. When he says what you're going to plant, what you're going to harvest is exactly what you planted. Don't plant corn and expect wheat. You plant corn, you're going to get corn. So the way you plant, the way you serve, the way you do things, and the reason you do them is exactly what you're going to get in return. And if you sow in your spirit, if you sow for the, for, if you sow Christian works for yourself, which is dysfunctional, you're going, to, you're going to harvest dysfunction. But he goes on and he says, the one who sows for the Spirit will re reap eternal life from the Spirit. What you invest in is what you will produce. What you invest in is what you will produce. I like this. I... I the priority of your passion will be the priority of your life. Understand that. The priority of your passion will be the priority of your life. Well, I pour into my family. Why do you pour into your family? Why do you pour into your family? People ask us, people ask me, why, you know, you were, you were free and clear. You had, you raised your kids and you moved on. 
why did you take more kids in? First of all, uh, I love my, my children. I love them. God brought them into my life. And secondly, my faith, check this out, man. This is, a, this is real talk. My faith tells me that if I'm going to be a true minister, a true Christian, that I'm going to want to support those who are homeless, those who are fatherless, the widows and the orphans, those in need, the least of these, those who are in great need of the things of God and the things of life. Not a hero, I'm just a Christian. Eh? Not anything special, I'm just doing what God has called us all to do. Why do we give to missions? Because there are people in this world that don't have what we have. There are people in this world who, man, if they were told the gospel, they wouldn't take it for granted like many Christians do. And we have people that are willing to sacrifice this life in America to go somewhere else and take the gospel to people who have never heard. That's why we give to missions. Why do we get involved in our church? Why do we teach children? Why do we get involved in what's going on? Why, are, why do we join ministries in our church that reach out to other people? Because there are other people in need of what we have. Why do we study and learn the word of God and find out ways to live our faith better? Why do we pray for opportunities to share our faith? Because there are people not as privileged and advantaged as us, spiritually speaking, that need to hear about Jesus. They need to at least have the opportunity to hear about Jesus. The priority of your passion will be the priority of your life. Righteousness will cause you to go beyond fatigue to change someone's eternity. Righteousness is a personal decision that makes a public difference. On Easter Sunday, we, we describe uh, baptism as an outward confession of an, an outward profession of an inward possession. Okay? It's an outward profession of an inward possession. You have Jesus Christ in your heart, and now you're making a public declaration that you are a follower of Christ, and you want to make that public, and you want people to know it, and you also want to be part of a body of Christ that will support you in that journey. Well, righteousness is a personal decision that makes a public difference. You keep yourself close to God personally, and he opens up doors for you to reach others publicly. Teddy Roosevelt said, if I have to choose between peace, peace and righteousness, I'll choose righteousness. Listen, I'm not getting into the whole, um, was he wrong to slap a man on national, on worldwide TV? You know, I'll, let, me be, let me be very honest with you. You make a, a, a derogatory comment to my wife, you better be able to run faster than me or get out of my reach real quick. I know I'm a, tos a toxic man. And I was raised by a toxic man. My toxic father expected me to be a man and to protect my family. Now, I'm not going to go slapping people. I'm not going around beating people up. Don't get me wrong. But you better believe I'm going to let you know verbally you're out of line. My friend, don't ever say that about my wife again. I have responsibilities. Teddy Roosevelt said it, said it best. If I have to choose between peace and righteousness, I'll choose the right thing every time. Listen, if all you want is peace, that means you're going to allow a whole lot of bad to come along. You're going to overlook a whole lot of wrong just to have peace. Peace isn't, peace isn't the reward. Peace isn't the pursuit. Righteousness is. That's why Jesus said, the world's going to hate you for following me. You're not going to be popular for following me, but you will be right. Psalm 119, 133, make my steps steady through your promise. Don't let any sin dominate me. 1 Peter 2, 21, for you were called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you example that you should follow in his steps. Hebrew 12, Hebrews 12, 1. Therefore, since we are surround, we also have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let's, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. Lay aside all the things that hold you back. 
Do your best to rise above the sin that holds you back. We all have those. We all have those struggles. The great challenge of our life is to rise above selfishness. It's to rise above, um, it's to rise above uh, being uh, uh, not just selfish, but being disconnected. It's to rise above apathy and to pursue Jesus Christ. Next, righteousness is intentionally focused on God and his plan. Intentional focus on God and his plan. Ezra Taft Benson said, it's not simply enough to try to resist evil and empty our lives of sin. We must all fill our lives with righteousness. Don't just avoid the potholes, fix the problem. Don't just, don't just avoid, fix the problems in your life. Don't be afraid of falling so much that you don't take the next step forward. Fix the problems in your life. Matthew 6, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Stop worrying about what you don't have. Stop worrying about what, who doesn't like you. Stop worrying about the fact that you're, you're not getting what you think you deserve and start concerning yourself with the things of God. Seek the kingdom of God. Bible says a person who wants to have friends must show themselves friendly. Bible says God will meet your needs and provide for you if you follow his way of provision. Focus your righteousness and your actions on his eternal plan. So what do, what, let's bring it down and we've covered some of this and let's just wrap it up with this. What are the practical actions of righteous living? How do we live righteously? And I, I think it's much easier to just say live right. How do we make the right choices? How do we do the right things? How do we live right in the eyes of God? We say that a lot in Christian speak, right? We want to be right with God. Well, what does that mean? We've covered a whole lot of what the Bible has to say. How do we put that into action now? Righteousness is action. Okay? Get that down. Righteousness is action. Do something. Do something. Don't just talk about it. Don't just come to meetings. Don't just come to church on Sunday morning. Do something. Righteousness is action. So take action. Do something. Do something for the kingdom of God. Fill with ministry and Christian service those voids in life that you used to fill with other pursuits. That's the secret to righteous service. We all know that scientifically nature hates a vacuum, right? It will fill a vacuum. That's why if you dig a hole, dirt falls back into it, right? Nature, it's Nature has been, God designed it such a way that vacuums are filled. Same way in your life. You know who loves a vacuum? You know who loves an emptiness in your life that you're not trying to fill? Satan. He'll fill it for you. He'll absolutely fill it for you. He will give you everything in the world to do on Sunday morning except come to church. He truly will. He'll schedule these great events that are wonderful for charities that you can go and give your time to. And it's wonderful to, to help to stand up for cancer and to do these kind of things. But, all right. You might need to be ready to preach next Sunday because I might not have a job after this. All right. God never called you to raise money for cancer. God didn't call you to stand up and fight AIDS. God didn't call you to take a moral and ethical stand against this, that, or the other thing. God didn't call you to march in a parade. God didn't call you to go to a parade. God didn't call you to spend your Sunday mornings doing anything other than being in 
church. Can I get an amen, mom and dad? Because they put it into my life and put it into my heart. That's what God has called you to do on a Sunday morning. Are you listening to me? Those of you who are sitting on your couch with coffee and a donut at home on Facebook Live. You see what I'm saying, Zach? You might be ready to preach next Sunday. Listen, folks, this is down and dirty. This is where we live. If you're making a choice on Sunday morning, it's God's day, man. We have scripture telling us to be in church. I don't care what Joe Jabroni down the street who wants you to give to his church so he can buy a new home is telling you that it's okay. It's not okay to skip church for something else. You're sick. You're on vacation. Great. Aaron says, John, and I'm not, I'm not, I am, listen, I am do, I am saying what I, about what I'm about to say. And I didn't intend to say this, but here we go. What I'm about to say is a testament to the way my parents raised me. Okay. It's not a testament to my, to anything about me. It's the way I was raised. What I was taught was righteous living. Aaron says, John, because we're on vacation right now. We're, we're up in Lee. We're on vacation. Not sure how much a vacation it is with four kids stuck in a two-bedroom condominium, but it's vacation, okay? She says, John, why don't you ask Zach or Oswaldo to preach when you go on vacation? And I said, Aaron, because it's my responsibility to preach. Well, you can say, well, come on. Come on, Pastor John, take a vacation. Okay, I'm telling you, I'm supposed to be in church on Sunday morning, right? Right? I'm supposed to be in church on Sunday morning. So if I'm going to be in church on Sunday morning, I might as well be doing what God called me to do. And that's not always going to be the case. I was sick a couple weeks ago, and sometimes we'll go on vacation somewhere else where we're not in this area. But if I'm within driving distance of my church, guess what? I'm going to do what God's called me to do because it's my responsibility because I want to live righteously before God. I don't want to just preach it. I want to live it. And that's, listen, that doesn't pat me on the back. If anything, it comes from a great upbringing in a household of faith. Church, we need to get back to that. Christians, we need, those of you who aren't in a church, you're going somewhere else, you're watching this, you're going to watch this, we need to get back to that. We need to get back to what it means to be committed to the work of the kingdom of God. And that means when you can be in church on Sunday morning, you need to be in church on Sunday morning. Live and in person. Do something. Living righteously may seem difficult, but it is possible. It's not an easy life we've been called to. It's a lonely life. Yeah, it can be a lonely life. Especially when you're going through something personally that nobody in your circle is or has, going, has gone through. Especially if you're the only one in your circle that has that experience and nobody else can understand it. Just remember the words of that old song. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. There's no other friend so kind as he. No one else can take the sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much he cares for me. Got to tell you, as difficult as that is, that's enough. We used to sing the song, um, all of me, all of you is more than enough for all, all of me. That's old worship song, more than enough. How true is that in your life? Is he more than enough for you or do you, need, do you need everything else to make you happy in your walk? Living righteously may seem difficult, but it's possible. Matthew 19, 21, Jesus said something to the rich young ruler that is difficult for us to accept today. See, Jesus wasn't just this cool teacher who fed people lunch and, and gave him fun stories. Jesus put rubber to the road in a lot of his confrontations. 
And he says, if you want to be perfect or complete, go sell your belongings and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Then come follow me. He didn't say, he's not saying sell all your possessions and give everything away. What he's saying is prioritize your life with me first. Make me first in your life. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. Once again, what you invest in, you will produce. Joshua 24, 15, if it doesn't please you to worship the Lord, choose for yourselves today which you will worship, the gods your ancestors worshiped beyond the Euphrates River or the gods and the Amorites in whose land you are living. For me and my house, we will worship the Lord. I guess we could boil it down to this last point. What, you know, what is practical living? Yeah, this is the last one. What is practical living? What, is, what does it mean to live practically? This last thing is, is very simple. Simply be a good person. Christians, can we just be good people? Good people to each other. And I use my kids as, at my home as an illustration all the time because, first of all, uh, I, they're so applicable. <laughs> they give me all kinds of fodder. But secondly, we're trying to do the right thing in our home. We're trying to raise our kids right and teach them the way to live and teach them the choices to make. And I just think if I'm doing it in my home and God has given me the ability to preach to others, then I think it's a good idea to share. And with our kids, I know your kids are perfect. and None of this happens in your home, but please indulge me. My four children, sometimes parents, do you feel like a referee and not a parent? Holy as my wife would say, holy camoli guacamole. Sometimes I feel like I should put on the striped shirt and have a whistle because I'm, because now my, my parents don't have anything, any understanding of this because in my home, when I was growing up, we never did this mom, right? We were, the, we were like perfect kids. We never bickered. And I mean, and now they're old enough to where they're not afraid of me anymore. <laughs> Like, dad's got more metal than he does anything else. He's not going to catch us. What the heck? And if I stay out late enough, he's going to be asleep. So, right? That's their thinking. But we try to teach them. Listen, guys, just be good to each other. Right? Just be good to each other. Your family. I know we came from different areas. I know we're not DNA, but I'll challenge you, man. Put Gabriel and Autumn next to each other and tell me they don't look alike. All right? Wait until around August and I, I actually look like I've got Puerto Rican color in my skin and then we kind of look like family. Right? But I know we come from different backgrounds and different DNA, but we're a family. Let's, let's love each other. Let's just be good to each other. I have to tell them that with their big brother, Zach, too. Just be good to Zach. Just be good, right? Just be good. Just be good people. Christians, let's learn that. You want to live righteously? Just be a good person. Just be. It's simple. Just be a good Christian. Just be what the Bible tells you to be. That's it. Don't try to swindle everybody. Don't try to take advantage of every situation. Don't continually look for what's in it for you. Think about what it means for the kingdom of God and what could be done if you and everybody you know in your church would just live for Jesus passionately, would just be good people. Listen, sometimes I, I got into a discussion about this with somebody. Well, Jesus never advocated violence. Really? Read the, read the account of the temple. This cat went in and flipped over tables, scattered all their money, and made a whip. Now, I'm telling you, for those of you who come from a background where your parents used a paddle or a switch, anybody get beat with a switch? <laughs> 
disciplined. Let's use the proper term. Any of you disciplined with a switch? I know you don't want to admit it, but um, other things. Is that my parents never never my in my house? My parents had a paddle, and it said the Board of Education applied to the seat of learning. Right now, now that's fifty-one able nowadays in Massachusetts, but in my house, when my dad would walk over to that wall where that hung, he meant business. And he didn't, my, my dad didn't make idle threats. When he got that thing, I got that thing. Whether you, whether you think that's good or not, at least my dad was consistent. All right? I learned how to be a good person. I learned to do the right thing and make right choices. I don't always do the right thing. I mess up sometimes, no doubt about it. But I know what living righteously is all about. It's about making right choices. It's about doing what the Bible has told us to do. It's right here. Live righteously. You want to hunger and thirst for righteousness? Do the right thing. Live the right way. Make the right choices. Love people unconditionally. Oh, yeah, but you're a Christian. You believe this is wrong and that's wrong. Just because I believe something. Listen, I had to leave my North Carolina Tar Heels hat in the car this morning so I wouldn't gloat. Okay? I'm a Dodgers fan, a Rams fan, and a Tar Heels fan. It's just, just pour it on. I'm feeling like a Patriots fan now. Just bring it all. Just bring it all, man. Just bring it all, right? Just keep, just keep pouring the championships out my way. I've struggled long enough, right? But I, I want to be a good person. I don't want to offend others with the success. Christian, just be good. Just live well. Just live well according to the principles of the word of God. You want to know how to be, right, how to be righteous? You don't need a degree. You don't need deep understanding of the theological principles. You just need to live as a good person in this world. You just need to put into practice the principles of the word of God that are good, that treat other people well, that bring about a good, solid reputation in the community because there's going to come a time when people want to reach out to somebody and you want to be that person. Micah 6, 8. This is mankind, he has told each of you what is good and what, is the, what it is the Lord requires of you to act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly with your God. Do justly, love mercy, walk humbly. Man, great principles. James 1.27, pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Treat others the way you want to be treated in the name of Jesus Christ. Righteous living, hungering and thirsting for the right way to be, for the right choices to make, for the right way to raise your children, for the right way to relate to your spouse, for the right way to be a good friend, for the right way to be a good asset to your church the right way to represent Jesus Christ in a world that wants nothing to do with him. Man, are you hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Are you pursuing righteous living, the right way to be a Christian in this world with passion? That's the question you have to answer. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be here today to be in your house. Lord, I thank you for those, all those who made the choice to be here. Lord, I know we have uh, several families right now that are ill and families that are away. And uh, God, I, I pray that you'll bring healing to them. People want to be here, but they're not able to be here, Lord. And I just pray that you will bring healing to them right now. Pray for Jess and Jim Arias stuck down in Florida. I pray that you'll provide a way for them 
Lord. Father, we've dug into some heavy stuff, some, some very practical stuff that is, can really get deep. Father, I pray that we'll all just make the simple choice to live right in your sight, to make the right choices, to do the right things, God, when we have the opportunity. It's tough, Lord. If I were to take a poll of people, if I was to, to ask people what the people here, just, just here this morning, Lord, and I mean, this is not news to you, you know what's going on. Father, we're all facing struggles right now. It's an interesting time to live, but it's also a very complicated time to live, Lord. And we need to know the right choices to make and the right way to go. Father, would you, would you answer our request and fill our hearts and minds with your wisdom and knowledge to make those right choices and to choose the right way to go? May we go out from today from here this morning, as passionate worshipers of yours, as people who want to serve you and do the right things for your kingdom, not for our benefit, but for your kingdom. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for the, the grace and the love and the path. God, I just love my church. I love the people here. I love the spirit. Bless us all. May we live for you and walk through every open door. In your name we pray. Amen.